This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Hey, Stella! If you build it, he will come. Here's Johnny! That's wrong. Here's James, because it's Simon Rose here on the Business of Film on Chair Radio, uh, talking to James Cameron Wilson about uh, cinema and the business of film, which, of course, you know, we were having to make up uh, charts because there were no uh, UK box office for absolutely ages, but we now have them back again. So we can even compare week upon week, James. We can indeed. But I would like to say something before we launch into mm. the UK box office chart for last weekend. We were talking about the Oscar last week, which won Best Cinematography. And I wasn't 100% sure. And I just want to set the record straight that Mank won the Oscar for oh, Best right. Cinematography. Yes, because there were suckers for anything in black and white. Yeah, well, no, I'm it's just, just you, I think it was a slip of the tongue. You had said Nomadland won for Best Cinematography, but I think you meant Best Film, and it just uh, it just threw me slightly because I then couldn't remember. Um, but no matter. Um, it what... did win Best Film, Best yeah, Director, yes, and absolutely, Best Actress. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so the, <laughs> let's look at the chart. You know, you can do this job for years, even decades, but you can never predict what people are going to turn out to see. We had a little chat after the show about I was so tired of seeing horror films and I knew that the eighth installment of the Conjuring universe was at my local and just couldn't face another formulaic <laughs> horror film. And yes. you let me off. Yes. I have actually seen seven films since we last talked. <laughs> Right. But it's made a fortune. This is The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which not only made £2,708,000 over the weekend, which, considering we've just come out of lockdown, is phenomenal, but that's a £5,726 average per screen. Wow. This is the eighth. That's sort of impressive and depressing at the same time. It's depressing, Simon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the eighth instalment in the Conjuring universe with Patrick Wilson yet again and Vera Farmiga. Mm. It's about the investigation of a murder that may be linked to demonic possession. There's a surprise. Mm. Yes. And I just couldn't <laughs> face it. But I I'm really surprised at looking at this chart. And at number two, we've got Peter Rabbit 2, which was at number one last week, mm. which made 2046000 that's a screen average of £3,522. And it's already made uh, £7,484,000 in just 10 days, which when you see that Godzilla versus, versus Kong, its total is only £1,737,000. So these figures are insane. And the one that I thought was going to be number one 
was going to be Cruella, but that was at number three, with a mere £2,785 average. Uh, but these, nonetheless, these are big figures. Uh, Cruella made £1,454,000 mm. over the weekend. And four of the top films made over a million over the weekend. So the box office is coming back. These are the, these are the. And this is despite the fact that people are still having to distance in cinemas, aren't they? You, can, well, you can't absolutely. get as many oh, yeah. seats. Um, so that's extraordinary. But then, often when you went to the cinema two years ago, you do you did feel socially distanced. <laughs> yes, that's to be true. fair, that is true. Yes, depending so on what number you were four. Mm -hmm. We've got Demon Slayer Mugen Train, which is the animated big screen sequel, of course, to the TV series, itself based on the manga comic. Mm -hmm. That's got quite a healthy average of £2,063, and just at 336 cinema screens. Uh, this, of course, is animated Japanese dark fantasy. Not really my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. Number five, we have Godzilla versus Kong with, as I said, a total of now 1,737,000. But then a lot of people had already seen it on streaming Yes. by then, of course. Number six, we've got Nomadland, which, of course, which we just talked about. Number seven, Spiral from the Book of Saw, the ninth film in the Grizzly Saw franchise. Yes. Number eight, Tom and Jerry the Movie with Chloe Grace Moretz and Michael Peña with Tom and Jerry animated, but the rest of the film is live action. We've got Disney's Raya and the Last Dragon at number nine, and at number 10, the excessively violent Mortal Kombat, which is a reboot of the video franchise with a, a fairly mortal 282 pounds over the weekend. So that's a big drop at how much The Conjuring made, so the closest Tell region. me again how much it took in? Uh, 282. Thousand. No, 282. 282 what? Pounds. Oh, sorry. No, I, I'm sorry. I said, uh, could you remind me how much the conjuring took, please? Oh, sorry. That, that made two million <laughs> some seven hundred eight thousand four hundred fifty five quid. 2.7 million. Okay. That's, Over the weekend. Yeah, it's extraordinary. So, well, well I, I, you know, as you had hoped before cinemas reopened, that you'd hoped that there would be an appetite, that people hadn't got out of the habit of going to the movie, and clearly um, they are desperate to go and see something. Maybe a really good film will do even better. Maybe. I'm going mad. Sorry. Um, well, indeed. Sorry. I was looking at the wrong um, column here. No, Mortal Kombat did actually make 52,000. Uh, right. Okay. But that's still considerably less than yes. almost three million. Yes, yes. Sorry, my yes, eyes slipped. I did think that sounded very, very little. Okay, so apologies James. for that. So, um, what are you going to review? Well, aha, uh -huh, indeed. Well, I had to see the, the what I thought was going to be the big film. Uh, last week, I really felt the pain for Beatrix Potter. This week, I'm feeling the pain for Dodie Smith. Dodie Smith, you may remember, was the author of the 1956... I Capture the Castle. Book. Well, that as well. Oh, 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 and 101 Dalmatians as well, of course. 101 Dalmatians, of course. Beatrix Potter wrote Peter Rabbit, and that was bastardised in the Australian caper of the same name. Mm. And in the sequel, which opened 
10 days ago, it, uh, two weeks ago. It's all about exploiting the name of a well-known brand and mm. not recreating the spirit. Back in 2014, Disney released Maleficent, which was an origin story of the wicked godmother who appeared in Charles Perrault's Sleeping Beauty animated by Disney and released in 1959 as Sleeping Beauty. Maleficent with Angelina Jolie in the title role, I thought was a resonant, thrilling and engrossing exploration of the multi-layered dimensions of both good and of evil, giving Maleficent, the wicked godmother, her own point of view. I absolutely loved it and I loved the sequel. And the film grossed over 758 million dollars worldwide and kick-started this whole new genre the origins movie this was followed by the extremely dark and violent joker which won joaquin phoenix and oscar while the small screen has been catching up with ratchet and bates motel the first being of course about mm. the origins of nurse ratchet from one flew over the cooker's nest and bates motel being about norman bates now it's the turn of cruella Deville, the spoiled and iniquitous heiress from 101 Dalmatians, which was remade in a live action version with Glenn Close as Cruella and in its sequel, 102 Dalmatians. And now Glenn Close acts as executive producer of Cruella. But how did Cruella become the evil dog skinning creation of Dodie Smith's beloved story. When Emma Stone was cast in the title role back in January of 2016, that's over half a decade ago, I thought we might have something really original and off the wall here. Filming began three and a half years later, and what with one thing and another, we now have the finished product. And I have to say that like Peter Rabbit 2, the production design is to die for. When we first see the Disney logo on screen, you know, the castle with the fireworks, yes, the building is in black and white. And so I settle down for a dark and irreverent adventure. When we meet Cruella, she is still called Estella and is having problems at school, being the daughter of a long suffering single parent mum played by Emily Beecham. I won't spoil the story, but I think I can divulge that Estella is a bit of a problem child, shall we say and is already set to challenge the world. With Emma Stone narrating her own story as Cruella, we actually witness her birth set to the tones of Bloody Well Right by Supertramp. Estella explains on the soundtrack, from an early age, I realised I saw the world differently from everybody else. And so we follow her narrative as she flees to London, falls in with a couple of street thieves, and reveals her dream to become a world-class fashion designer. Cut to the present day, or at least the 1970s, with Estella now grown up and still sporting her black and white hair, a sort of hirsute birthmark, and indeed it is her identity. All this is relayed with great style and some flourish, with an endless array of pop standards, so that the film begins to resemble a very long Greatest Hits video. 
I, th I think whenever a filmmaker, in this case, the Australian director, Craig Gillespie, feels that they need to win an audience around instantly, they ply them with an instantly recognisable hit tune. And here we have the Bee Gees, the Animals, the Rolling Stones, Nancy Sinatra, Nina Simone, Ike and Tina Turner, Queen. No cost is spared. And then we have the production design set predominantly on Great Marlborough Street, the location for the department store Liberty, where mm. Estella ends up cleaning the loos, central London has been transformed, and very authentically too. In fact, like Peter Rabbit too, it is the production design that seems to eclipse everything else, along with the exquisite attention to period detail, right down to the Isaac medicated loo paper. <laughs> Although I thought that went out in the 1960s. Well, it certainly did in my household. Emma Stone is never less than watchable and has great fun recycling her English accent from the favourite, while Emma Thompson hammed it up as the real Cruella in spirit, uh, as Baroness von Hellman, the grand dame of the fashion world, brandishing a cutthroat razor when she's not firing people and throwing things. However, I, I thought she was much funnier as the not dissimilar autocrat she played in Late Night, which we saw a couple of years ago. I think she was funnier then because I actually believed her as the monstrously egotistical late show talk host. Cruella, though, is pure pantomime with lots of energy, but no discernible wit. And for anybody expecting a child-friendly comic adventure with lots of dogs, they will be disappointed. I wanted Cruella to be darker, to live up to its 12A certificate. Yet in spite of the BBFC warning of moderate threat, I found the PG-rated Jurassic Park and, say, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban far more threatening than this. As for en its entertainment value, I, I found a one-eyed chihuahua called Wink and, and an attentive stray called Buddy were by far the most engaging characters in the entire film. James, thank you. Probably a good moment then for us to take a breather. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. You're listening to uh, Share Radio. Uh, I'm Simon Rose in conversations with James Cameron Wilson as we talk about the business of film. So, um, pantomimic Cruella, nothing like dark enough. Uh, what else do you have for us, James? Well, I so loved Maleficent that I was very disappointed by Cruella. It's, a, it's not anywhere in that class. Well, <laughs> I have done, I was so, I mean, I just looked at the film showing at my local. I thought, just, they're so generic and so formulaic. Mm -hmm. So it was back to Netflix. Right. And I think the beautiful Caribbean island of Haiti has a lot to answer for. It was I, I've said before you go any further, this is slightly disconcerting. Somebody who's absolutely obsessed with cinema and adores it thinks I'd rather just stay in and watch Netflix. That's a little bit disconcerting and worrying, don't you think? I mean, I can understand it, but... Well, uh, it, it is. It is very sad. But yeah. Netflix has really changed cinema, or, or the way we see it, and yes. also the quality. Yes. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a series or a documentary or a film. Netflix are just amazing, yes. or is amazing, I should say. So, on yeah, the, the beautiful Caribbean island of Haiti has an awful lot to answer for. It was Haitian folklore 
that introduced the cinema and other media to the zombie, which mm -hmm. has now taken on a life of its own, so to speak. We now have a $90 million Netflix epic, Army of the Dead, whose title is actually a misnomer. They are not an army, and they are far from dead. They are the citizens of Las Vegas. Um, this is directed by Jack Snyder from his own story. He is also credited as cinematographer as well as co-producer and co-scenarist. So the blame is all his. This is described as a spiritual successor to his debut feature, Dawn of the Dead. But it really only has zombies in common. Initially released in cinemas in the US, British audiences can now see it on Netflix, where it has attracted 72 million viewers. Obviously not just in Britain, but that's a phenomenal viewership. So we can expect more of the same with a prequel already in the can, Army of Thieves, also due to be shown on Netflix, along with an animated series based on the film I'm about to review, utilizing the same voices. Zack Snyder is not one to leave an idea alone. He's featured Superman, AKA the Man of Steel, in three of his films, played by Henry Cavill each time. He directed 300 and co-produced and co-scripted the sequel, 300 Rise of an Empire. And now he's the engine behind this zombie franchise. Not to mention that he re-edited his critically reviled superhero monster mash, Justice League, and released a new version called Zack Snyder's Justice League only this mar March, which runs for over four hours. Another thing Zack Snyder loves is digital cinema. And I can't remember seeing a more gory opening credit sequence in my life ever. But before we get there, we get a scene um, which is set which well, obviously set in pear shape from the start. We follow an army convoy leaving Area 51 in the Nevada desert with the soldiers in charge. They have no idea what they are escorting. They guess it could be anything from Bigfoot to an alien to even the Holy Grail itself. And then we cut to a just married couple who are driving through the same desert and not really concentrating on the road ahead. In fact, nobody's concentrating on the road ahead because it's the desert and because it's almost dark. Well, we know what's going to happen. And when it does, Snyder doesn't stint on the pyrotechnics and the reinforced container the army is escorting goes for quite a tumble before unleashing its cargo and we know what's inside it. Cut to the future when Las Vegas has been overrun by zombies. Basically, this is a reworking of the Dirty Dozen, or Inglorious Bastards. Ex-mercenary Dave Bautista is offered, wait for this, $50 million to break into a casino vault and haul the contents out of Vegas before the army nukes the entire city. So Bautista rounds up some unlikely suspects, um, a crew for the mission, the bravest, most accomplished and reckless daredevils he can find. Each mercenary is offered half the amount of the previous one and is selected for his or her particular skill. So we have a helicopter pilot, a safe cracker, a sharpshooter and so on. They are a very colourful bunch and for the most part, 
have each other's backs. But of course, there are bound to be complications. Basically, this is just the story of a father and daughter trying to find common ground after Bautista was forced to kill his wife in an act of mercy. His daughter, played by the English actress Ella Purnell, has barely talked to him since and now insists on entering Vegas with him in order to save three women trapped in the city for whom she feels responsible. In fact, there's a whole lot going on here, which keeps our interest. And while there's a whole lot of screaming zombies as well, we wouldn't be invested in the action without also being invested in the characters. It is extremely violent, Simon, but it's also a fantasy because zombies don't really exist. And in spite of the film's two and a half hours, <laughs> yes. I found myself engaged throughout. Oh, Bizarre yeah. as it might say, I think this is Zack Snyder's best film since his first Superman movie, Man of Steel. And I think zombie zealots will absolutely love it. And I know you're not one of them. <laughs> um, not Ducky, no, uh, <laughs> not to be. No, James, uh, we only have about three and a half minutes left. What what else do we still have to talk well, about? Well, as I said, I've seen seven films since we last talked. Um, and I'd like to talk about a film. Do you remember a movie with Tim Robbins and Meg Ryan? Uh, it's ringing a bell, but I can't think what it was. Is that a political one? No, no if I said that Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer was also in it. Okay, Top Gun. <laughs> yeah, okay, yes. I'd forgotten Tim Robbins was in it. Yes, okay. Well, well I, I'd forgotten Meg Ryan was in it, and it was such a delight to... Well, obviously, Kelly yeah. McGillis was the female lead. Yes. Um, it was put back to July 23 of this year, having been originally scheduled to open in June of 2020, and then it was postponed, postponed to December the 23. Um, top, sorry, the sequel, Top Gun. Oh, Madden. right. Okay. Um, so I felt I ought to catch it because I thought it was opening next month, but they've now put it back again to November the 19th. So I needn't have sat through Top Gun again. Um, I don't remember having enormous affection for it, but um, it's always interesting to revisit something because it was, has become so iconic. I mean, it must have... Yes, I'm never the, sure why, I have to confess. It's one big pose. Tom Cruise doesn't stop posing. Everybody <laughs> speaks in sound bites. It's like a big commercial for the US military. There are a lot of songs, and I mean a lot. Um, and it's interesting. I just, they, they speak in such cliches that you wonder when Tom Cruise says, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you, whether that was actually the first time anybody said that on screen. <laughs> <laughs> Has it become a cliche because of Top Gun? And, of course, it features one of the cinema's longest love scenes, which is many scenes edited together, all set to the hit song by Berlin, Take My Breath Away. I mean, it is a beautifully gift-wrapped B-movie, in, as I say, which all the characters talk in sound bites. But what really amused me is James Tolkien, who's a wonderful, bald character actor. And in the cramped quarters in the aircraft carriers, he's always puffing on these cigars. And the place is absolutely covered in smoke, <laughs> which, of course, you wouldn't get, I'm sure, in Top Gun Maverick, the sequel that I forgot to mention. But I know I've only got about 30 seconds left, but the film I absolutely loved, which I revisited, which, ha which starred Kerry Mulligan and Rosamund Pike, 
and Tallulah Riley, who went on to marry Elon Musk, not once, but twice, <laughs> and also divorced him twice. She is in this film, a very giggly Kerry Mulligan, a very wise and profound Rosamund Pike. And I've seen it three times now. The film is called Pride and Prejudice. It was made 16 years ago. And Joe Wright, the director, I think it was his first film, really captures the elegance of Jane Austen's prose with his cinematic style. And I love the fact that the house that all the Bennett sisters live in, of course, Kira Knightley playing the lead, Elizabeth Bennett, really looks like a home. It works on every level. And I just, it's so much funnier than I remember it being. But I just absolutely loved it on revisiting it. I actually had a spell of rewatching Austin things early in lockdown, but I missed that one. So maybe I will see it as well. James, thank you very much indeed. That's it for the business of film uh, this week. We will, of course, be back uh, with James, uh, who may have been to the cinema, uh, if things are looking up the same time next week. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Houston, we have a problem. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes?